Well, good morning and greetings from Lakeview and from New Orleans and COVID-19 town. I thought I might have to get checked at the border uh, crossing the lake. Uh, surprised they didn't take my temperature uh, coming in, but it feels a little different uh, gathering with you this morning than it's felt throughout this season on our, our end. But it's just always a joy uh, to spend time with you and to share God's word with you. So if you'd open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to begin by bringing you a tale from 2019, that strange, distant land before time. And the scene is uh, Christmas Eve, and we are opening presents at my parents' house, and the joys of the season collide with the woes of toy packaging. My, my three-year-old son, he looks on with urgency as I attempt to dislodge the, uh, the toy truck he's just been given from the layers of plastic and cable ties and welding that hold all toys safely and securely before all the, the supplies get thrown into the ocean afterward. Uh, and my brother-in-law, Brad, he notices uh, my struggle. And so he, he hands me the serrated knife that he had been up early sharpening that morning. And uh, it does the trick. It slices through all of the fasteners and straight into my thumb. Um, and uh, over the course of the next hour, I, I put pressure on it as I, I bleed through like a whole roll of, of paper towels. Uh, they come in handy in those moments. And eventually my family insists that I head to the ER and get that checked out. And so I, I declare Christmas officially canceled in my absence. And uh, since I hadn't traveled outside of the continental United States, they decided to help me at Oshner Kenner and uh, treat me and get me fixed up. And the, the week that follows is just one moment after another demonstrating to me uh, all the things that I need my right thumb in order to accomplish, right? I, I can't open up our, our bag of dark roast community coffee because I don't have the thumb backing required to, to pull it apart. Um, I tend to wear men's shirts most of the time. Um, and uh, those, the buttons push from the right to the left and that's become a significant struggle. Uh, for a while, I, yeah, I don't wanna get too graphic, but I attempt to zip up my pants using my index finger and middle finger. <laughs> And then realize my left hand will actually uh, do the trick on, on that as well. Um, but the opposable thumb that distinguishes us from much of the animal kingdom uh, was no longer available to me. But throughout that week of trial, I, I had this one positive thought. I have a really good illustration if I ever preach from 1 Corinthians 12. And here we are. So... Uh, let's read together, starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Though if the whole body were an eye, 
Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. That we're living in noisy days, distracting times, but so much is calling for our attention, for our opinions, for our response, for our engagement. And much of it matters, Lord. Much of it, what we should be interacting with. But your word is the interpretive authority on our experience. God, it is light in a dark world. And we want it. God, we want you to cast your light on what we need to see. Not just in what's surrounding us, but especially in our own hearts. So help us, God. Visit with us. Speak to us. And may we respond with repentance and with faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We are living in days where the fellowship of the body is under strain. And, and for a, a number of reasons. You know, here Paul uses this, this physical metaphor for the gathered church. And, you know, th- these are days when e- even here, there, there's still members of the church that aren't able to gather with you. And, and, and we're feeling that especially at, at Lakeview. You know, we're at two services with limited capacity for each one and and still uh, a significant portion of our older saints aren't able to be among us. And and, and here, this this text, it's so tangible. It has the the feeling of, of flesh and bone. And yet for many members, it's difficult when we're not together or we're six feet apart or we're interacting through a screen. And, and this, this passage is, is a reminder that, that that should feel abnormal. And we probably don't need any more reminders of the abnormality of this season. But there are realities of fellowship and of shared life that uh, these are convictions we're going to have to continue to fight for in, in the days ahead to experience. And, and some members who, you know, you might be watching from home right now. Uh, you might feel isolated. You know, I, I was aware of that during the, the shutdown period of uh, particularly singles 
um, in our church who were looking on as, as families were coming up with activities to do and making memories and complaining about there being too many people in the house while they sat through that season by themselves. I read somewhere that, that loneliness has the same health effects as chain smoking. And, and for some, that, that has been prolonged. And, and it's important for us to realize this. We, we feel this, the, the absence of members of the body that, that Scripture describes as vital to our overall health. So for some of you, this, this, this might be your first Sunday back. And uh, I, I know I speak on behalf of the body here and, and, and Jeff and the leaders here, just how, how grateful it is, we are to see your faces and to, to get to catch up and share uh, fellowship with you. Um, you know, I've, I've loved getting to speak with some of the, the senior saints at, at Lakeview over the phone and catch up with them and uh, get to hear ways that they're, they're carrying the church in prayer and, and serving in ways that are invisible uh, and might feel unnoticed to them. And, and Paul cast the spotlight on, on that in this passage as well. But, but there are also ways that this present cultural moment threatens the unity of the body. We are in divisive days. That's true in all things related to COVID-19 and disputes as to what, what kind of sensitivity and safety should look like versus, uh, you know, how we shouldn't be living in fear. You know, that's kind of the phrase that's thrown around a good bit, right? Pastor Jeff's already mentioned the debates about masks and whether that's, you know, everything from wearing a mask is letting your fear flag fly uh, to not wearing one is being a grandma killer, right? These things just get <laughs> slung around and we can all have really strong opinions about that. You know, uh, I, I've heard it illustrated with the, the town of, of Bristol, which is, uh, you know, on the on the border of Virginia and Tennessee and in the initial reopening phases on State Street, which borders those two states, uh, you know, the, 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 they, they were following different reopening plans. And so on one side of the street, uh, you could go into a restaurant and sit down and, and do dine-in. On the other side of the street, it was takeout only, right? And, and often the church can, can look like that, just divided down the middle and polarized opinions. And then there are the events of this summer, right? And the discussion of racial injustice that has been in our culture. The tragic death of George Floyd in police custody on the heels of the, the deaths of Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor. And we, we were aware of this at, at Lakeview, just, you know, members of our body, people of, of color who were hurt, who were grieving, who were feeling confused, watching what a, what a majority white congregation gets animated about and what we find the ability to be silent concerning. Right? And, and, and then there are those of us that have a, a different set of concerns and fears and headlines that trouble us. And there's not agreement over you know, what realities of justice are the primary ones? And that, that followed a, a season of, of everything from protests to, to looting and riots and cities that were burning. And that then became part of the discussion. And all this is, is taking place, you know, through this kind of disembodied 
social media frenzy. And has anybody mentioned that it's an election year? <laughs> right, that, that hasn't come up at all, has it? Look at verse 13. Jew and Greek, slave and free, in one body. Right, this is not the first time that the people of God have had trouble pulling off unity. And, and for the Corinthians, too much of their fellowship was being defined by their surrounding culture. They, they weren't living as an alternative community in the world. They looked just like the world around them. And, and by the way, I'm grateful for the, the Corinthians' troubles. You know, some of the most amazing places in Scripture are prompted by things that they messed up. And just the, the chapter that follows this is chapter 13, the, the love chapter, and, and what a beautiful passage that is, and yet what an ugly backdrop that required it. And here we have this rich theological picture of the body of Christ, of the, the lived reality of the gospel as it incorporates a diverse people. And we're going to look at just two things in our time together. One is that all members are interdependent, and second, that all members are indispensable. Right, first, all members are interdependent. Body parts on their own are not pleasant. You know, if you're uh, just walking along your, your sidewalk and one day happen upon a finger hanging out by itself, would you move toward it or away from it? I mean, some, some of y'all would move toward it. You know who you are, right? Freakish things attract you. Uh, but for most of us, we wouldn't pick that up and find it to be something cute and you know, stow it away for next Mother's Day as a gift. Uh, the, 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 body, the parts of the body, they're supposed to be together. Members must be vitally connected and, and the body needs more than one kind of member. You know, Paul pulls out these, these common sense uh, pictures. You know, a, a whole body that were an eye would, would be freakish, non-functional, and would not be able to live. If you're looking for a striking picture of what this kind of thing might look, look like, I have here a coloring sheet from your children's ministry curriculum uh, on the body of Christ. It's the, the next one right there. Yeah, check that out. Um, <laughs> So, yes, if, if your kids have been part of uh, CCC Kids, they have actually colored this. And um, if they were traumatized by the experience, uh, you can send your emails to milton at christcchurch.org. Uh, but, but look at this, right? Uh, the poor dude just cannot play baseball. He just uh, cannot catch a break. Uh, but I, I, you can take that picture off now. A body cannot function without both unity and diversity, right? The parts need to be different, but the parts need to be together. Otherwise, we die. And look what he says in verse 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Answer, it wouldn't be. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. This is interdependence. And, and it ultimately re reflects that this relationship between one and many reflects our triune God, who is one being who has forever existed in 
three equal yet distinct divine persons. And in God's providence, so so much of life works this way. We watched that this year in the economic world, right? And I don't have any hot takes on the economy. I'm sorry to disappoint. Um, But, you know, it's amazing how the line of production works. How a a meat packaging plant in like South Dakota can cause a shortage down in Covington, Louisiana. And and the market operates with what's been described as a a globe-spanning web of interconnectedness. And we couldn't even create some of the most basic products on our own. The, 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 The book, The Toaster Project, or a heroic attempt to build a simple electric appliance from scratch by Thomas Thwaites. It tells the story of the author's journey from dismantling uh, the cheapest toaster that he can find to reverse engineering it to figure out all the, all the parts that, that make it up in order to, to design his own from scratch. And, and once he disassembled that, he discovered that there are over 400 parts that make a basic toaster, wires and springs and screws and plastic casing. And and these things come from manufacturers that are all over the world. And so what he had to do, he had to go into mines in order to extract his own iron and copper and mica. He had to convert the iron ore into steel. He had to make his own plastic casings uh, from potato starch. He spent $1,792 and nine months to build one brave little toaster that barely worked. Right? We need others in order to function. And in that toaster example, one manufacturer of a little transistor could never predict all of the ways that that part would come to function, all the contribution that it would bring. And, and, and that's why it's, it's God's purpose for believers to experience the life of the body. He brings us into the church. We don't know all of the members that we need in order to do life, but he does. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And how comforting that is. God is caring for us in this way, his his personal care and his care for his church to connect us together. And, And this should lead us to appreciate the variety of what God has brought into our midst, different gifts and manifestations of the Spirit, different areas of ministry, even even the ones that we don't tend to have a preference for. You know, a couple of things have taken place culturally over the past couple of decades, and it'd be important to pay attention to them. One is the multiplying of options, just the, the number of options that you and I have to pick from in any category of life has been multiplying everything from you know going down the 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 grocery aisle where you used to find like two kinds of bread and a jar of mayonnaise to like there's 37 different varieties of mustard that you can pick from and all different assortments of laundry detergent to thousands of titles that you can stream on netflix and experience choice anxiety over trying to figure out what you're going to watch except right now everybody's watching hamilton so that decision's uh 
made easy for you. Right? So the multiplying of options, and that's led to the second feature, which has been the elevation of preferences. Right? When, when more is out there on the market, you and I get to be selective shoppers. We get to have more narrow opinions as to what we're looking for. And, and we bring that into the setting of the church. We have our own shopping list for how we want things to sound, what ministries we want to see highlighted and platformed, what personality types we expect to encounter as we interact here. I mean, we have difficulty relating with and finding value in what might not be on our list. And, and something that sounds different or emphasizes things that might not be our favorite can be treated as wrong, as something that shouldn't be. But God has intended for us to experience variety. And by definition, variety doesn't just look like you. Like what Benjamin Watson says, he writes very helpfully in the issues of, of ethnic diversity. He says, unity is not uniformity. It is an intentional merging of diverse yet equally valuable characters and characteristics for a common purpose under a banner greater than each part. And, and for the church, ultimately, that, that greater than purpose is the mission of the gospel. It is an ambitious and seemingly unattainable goal at times, yet it is worth the effort to attain. It takes the effort, and it is worth the effort to attain. Right? A church that has just one emphasis, just one message, just one personality type, just one kind of spiritual gift, one perspective, is not healthy. Now listen to this. God loves you. And because he loves you, he has connected you to people who don't think like you, act like you, or look like you, or share some of the views that you do. It's his love. And Paul brings attention to another aspect of interdependence. What affects one part of the body affects the whole. What he says in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Right? Think, think about the way that pain works in the human body. It's this network of nerve endings and pain receptors. It's all, it's all connected. I mean, when was the last time that you stubbed your little toe? I bet that the rest of your body got involved in some way. You know, there, there are two pieces of furniture in my house that just always run into me somehow. They just jump in the way and tear off my pinky toe. And some, you know, screech comes from me and my wife will run in to figure out what happened to the children. And then is just disappointed to see it's just me uh, on the floor. Uh, you know, if you, if you fracture your femur, your arms and your shoulders get involved. You, you walk on crutch, crutches. Other parts of the body, they carry and they bear the load. They, they don't have the convenience of leaving alone hurting members. They feel the pain and they bring the support. And as a church, we suffer together. 
we feel the burdens of others. We don't get to be unaffected, right? We identify with the parts of the body that are hurting or abused. We share their, their tears and we care about their fears. Right? We don't begin by explaining away their suffering or providing reasons as to why they shouldn't feel the way that they do. We feel what they feel. We make the decision to feel what they feel. We're, we're not quick to move on. We welcome the discomfort that this brings. We, we don't find their suffering to be tiresome, to be untimely, that it needs to work according to our schedule. Which, by the way, that's often how grieving people feel, right? We, we often find grieving people to, to not be easy to be around. And they start to pick up on that. They start to notice that from us, right? That they're behind the timeline that you've supplied for them. That they should have moved on sooner. That you're grading their emotional responses and letting them know which ones are appropriate. And so whether it's the, the grieving black community in our midst, or it's the bereaved widow in your small group, do you allow for the uncomfortable time and space that's necessary for the fact that when one member suffers, all suffer together? I love the way that Ed Welch describes this here. Oh, you must not be quick to move on from someone else's pain. He says, when people are lodged in our hearts, we remember them. Think of a time when someone checked in with you long after you spoke a particular grief. That is love. So we hold victims of injustice in our hearts and we keep holding them. This kind of love will be seen in prayer conversations, grief, and creative ways to do something while we invite the world to meet the king who rules with gentleness and judges with righteousness. This is a word for this time. It's a word for the days that are awaiting us. With whom are you suffering in this body? With whom are you rejoicing? Who are you walking with in such a way that their experience has a bearing on yours. Right? We, we don't like this. We, we live in a don't put that on me culture. Right? Don't put that on me, man. I, I've got enough to manage on my own. I, I don't want to have to deal with your expectations and your disappointments and ways that you expect me to show up for you. And, and yet here Paul describes this in such a way where it's like, hey, uh, welcome to church. Here's some more burdens you didn't have when you walked in. They're yours now. You get to share them and shoulder them. But, but this is a grace from God. You and I need this. We, we become so insulated. Our own troubles are the measuring stick for whether or not life is in a good place, whether or not God has been good to us, whether he's been kind, and, and it's like we have no more spare thought or emotional capacity to give 
to other people, which is why we, we tend to take their experience and stuff it in the narrative that makes sense to us. And it's like, okay, I can check those boxes and move on and just go back to staring at my own life because I've got your suffering figured out. We, we need to be pulled outside of ourselves, right? The joys and sufferings of other believers can rescue us from our myopic perspective, right? We, we need the benefit of letting what we're complaining about to be eclipsed by the troubles of those that we love. We need an ability to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, to be set free from our self-pity into celebration of the work of God in somebody else. We need the connection and the contribution of other members. And, and that's the second principle the Spirit gives us here. All members are indispensable. Here's how Paul words it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. He says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And starting in March, we all received a new set of vocabulary. Right, certain phrases like social distancing, I'm sure that was something you were always throwing around two years ago. Uh, flatten the curve, another phrase. Uh, Fauci mania and, and toilet paper shortage, right? Uh, just new uh, vocabularies that were added to us. And, and, and one of those phrases was, was the term essential workers. And what, what are essential workers? When, you, when you, you start to think about that, there are some obvious categories. You know, people who are on the, the front lines, first responders, um, people working in, in health and hospitals, um, those who are, you know, uh, facilitating at grocery stores, right? So, so those are the ones that kind of stand out. But when you start to think about this, right, you've got the people who are running the energy plant, keeping your house powered, those at Cox Cable who are supposedly supplying Wi-Fi at your house while you're having to work from home, right? There's the Amazon delivery person. There's those who work in tech support. There are zookeepers, uh, keeping animals alive and fed. There are essential oil suppliers. I mean, the, the, the name essential is in the, is in the product line, right? Uh, it's not an easy designation. But what Paul's saying here is that every member is an essential worker. We're all needed. It's a call for every part to work, for every believer to take ownership for the growth of the overall body. It's a reminder that our health cannot be accomplished by leaving any member of the body behind. We can't dismiss certain spiritual gifts without dividing the work of the Holy Spirit. We, we can't dismiss a part of the body without dismembering Christ. He says this, verse 12, 21. The eye cannot say to the head, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. You know, it's, it's one thing to say that we need everybody's spiritual gifts, that everybody has a talent to bring, you know, everybody has a note to sing, right? Nobody's going to openly disagree with that, right? Uh, but do we really believe 
that we need every member of the body. Because honestly, we, we don't like the thought of needing others. Because what that implies is that what I bring to the table, my insight, my perspective, my understanding, my ability to think through a problem and come up with a solution is not enough. Right? We don't like to be dependent on others in an independent culture. And yet this is what we need. I have no need of you. It expresses the attitude of some of the Corinthians toward their brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And, and, and there were reasons why they felt this way. There, there were heart conditions of pride and of partisanship. There, there was a self-confidence and a loyalty to certain things that caused them to find some of their fellow members, their fellow believers, to be dispensable. What are the ways that this attitude gets expressed among us? We can do that relationally. I have no need of you because you think differently than me. You move at a different pace than I do. And so you slow me down. I don't like the weight that you bring to me. I don't like having to manage your different emotional responses, husbands and wives can do that to one another. We start to treat different as wrong, as unnecessary. Right? And, and we live in a culture that tells us we shouldn't have to experience the discomfort that that brings. We do that ideologically or politically. Right? Unless you align with my particular political angle and interpretation of the world, then I have no need of you. I am no longer going to listen to your perspective. You are canceled from coming into my feet because I don't like the take that you took on that issue or the stance that you've placed on this or who you voted for. I have no need for your influence any longer. We do that generationally. Younger to older generations can say, I have no need of you. Your life experience doesn't have the unique details that mine has, right? We're living in different days. The challenges you faced are different than the ones that we had. You're behind the times. Okay, boomer, you know, you've had your chance. You've shared your views. Time is done. Older generations might be concerned or disturbed by the viewpoints that people younger than you hold. But, but listen, as you watch your children and your grandchildren move away over time from your ideas and you, and you find that concerning and understandably so. Right? Just, just make sure that it's God's ideas that you're defending and not human tradition. Right? You might be reacting to something that bugs you for reasons that are outside of the Bible. I don't get why that's a big deal for you. I don't understand what animates you. And so you can dismiss that or make fun of that. It could be another way of saying, I have no need of you. I don't like the way that your calling into question what our generation has done makes me feel. Right? Every generation has its blind spots, which is why God put us together in one body. He, he put us together for the, the younger generation to, to receive the, 
the wisdom and the care and the perspective of those who have gone before us. For for the older generation not to take offense at, at change or adjustment just because it feels different. We, we all like the idea of, of diversity. You know, that, that's, that's a popular idea today. But for the most part, we, we like wearing the diversity badge, right? We like the nobility that comes with diversity and not the challenge and the difficulty that it brings, the work that we have to do to experience it. It's a lot easier when everything just looks like us. But as Benjamin Watson put it, you know, we often want uniformity instead of biblical unity. And, and, and as those preferences get elevated as more and more important and more and more narrow, here's how this feels these days. Like I, I've got a list of 10 items and, and you've got to be 10 for 10. If you're nine for 10, right, you, 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 you get this one right, that one right, we share this in common, we, we, we both see things this way on this issue, but, but you're on a different side on number 10, then the relationship gets strained. I'm withdrawing from you emotionally. I'm no longer enthusiastically a part of what you're a part of. How are churches going to survive if that's what we're doing to one another? Right? We're willing to break fellowship over things that aren't even secondary matters in the kingdom of God. And, and we can be really passionate about things that just aren't clear in Scripture and yet show little passion for what is. Right? Everybody's got their own tribe they follow and they self-select the voices they want to listen to, the podcasts they want to sub- subscribe to. And, and, and that can be some tribe that's, that's outside of this church that, you know, Every morning on your drive-in, you're, you're radioing in or what, what, whatever that is. And, and it's not wrong to, to, to be influenced by a variety of perspectives and their information, but God has called you to this body, right? The, the body of Christ is your tribe. <laughs> These are your people. Christ's community church is your family with the differences that are present here and the tensions that it creates. Whom do you see as weaker or unpresentable? The Corinthians had their list and we have ours. Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Right? I I don't think we need an an anatomy lesson in what Paul's talking about specifically there. But you you, you get the point. There there are things that, that, that that are less visible that we're called to treat with care, and to, to put in places of honor, to, to platform what the world doesn't platform, to applaud what the world is silent about. That's true in, in terms of gifts and ministries of the church. It's the primary context for this here. And there are, pe- there are people in this, this body that are, that are serving in ways that might feel unnoticed, that might get less attention. And yet Paul is elevating you and and the Bible is and this body is to a place of honor 
meaningful contribution necessary. We would not be the same if we did not have your contribution. Right? And, and we live in a culture, and, and, the, and the church has to navigate this. Right? There are, there are different moments in the history of church, the history of the church in the world that put us out of step with the surrounding culture where we are called to value things that this world does not. And so often the church has not got it right. Right? So uh, in periods of time in our own nation, in the American church, during slavery and segregation, so often the people of God were not giving a contrary voice to the world around them. To saying, every member of the body has value, regardless of your race, regardless of your status in this nation, you get the front seat. You have a place of honor and respect and we need you to be a vital member here. Periods in the history of our nation where the church has been complicit in racism. Right? But, but, but times and seasons come and go and, and the cultural standard for, for whose voice gets to speak shifts and changes. And so you know, right now you're, you're an older white lady in, in, in the church, it's like it, it's, your, your time has come, right? It's, it's time for you to just, just be listening to the, the voices of minorities, just be kind of sitting silently. You know, we, we, we've heard enough from people like you. Right? That, that's not how the Bible sounds, is it? Which is why we need God's word, not the culture around us, to teach us about unity and diversity and value and what it means to walk together. All right, final thought for us and probably the most important one to see. What's the opposite of division? It's this culture of mutual care. Verse 26, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, this atmosphere of affection and serving and real relationships and mutual love and respect. Right? We're, we're living in a time when um, there are limitations, perhaps, to the reality of fellowship in our midst. But, but this is something that we have to continue to fight for and to experience. I'm not going to take the time right now to read this, this quote from John Stott, uh, just a very interesting insight back in 1982 when he predicted the day when uh, people's interaction with one another would be largely through a screen and electronically. And this is, you know, this is in 1982. Um, and just the, the difference that the church can make in that kind of world, in that kind of environment. But where do we get the power and the motivation to do the hard work? that God calls us to here. Right, here's the most important point. Mark, you can come up. We're called to be compelling witness to the world, to the power of the gospel to produce what nothing else can. And so often we've not done this well. We don't say that triumphalistically. And for that we grieve. But here's our hope. Right? Unity cannot create itself. Unity 
is created by the work of God in the gospel. Right? And, and this is important for us to, to keep in mind as our nation talks in categories of social change. Right? We're, we're responsible as citizens to love in word and in deed and to pursue policies that help our neighbors. And, and where any injustice can be remedied in, the, in this life, we seek to do our part. And that's not some throwaway word, by the way. We seek to do what God calls us to. But we know that the systems of this world will not ultimately attain what only renovated hearts can produce. And that's why what's so helpful about the community that Paul is describing here is that this is the body of Christ. This is Jesus' body. And the head of this body sets the example and gives the power to walk this out. This, this thought from Stephen Um isn't in your notes. Just listen to this. The imagery of the body is not generic. It is specific. It is the body of Christ. The health well-being and future of the body are in the hands of the head, Christ. Individual sinners have been incorporated into his body by grace. No one has earned his way in. The most presentable part, the head, was willingly dishonored so that the least presentable parts, you and I, might receive honor. The strongest member was made weak and dispensable in order that the weaker members, you and I, might be considered indispensable. We mutually care for one another because we have experienced his care. Christ completely eschewed self-protection and self-care in order to care for us. He became lowly and despised to give us a seat of honor. He became dispensable to make you and I and, and the personalities that we bring to the table, the, the ways that God's Spirit has rewired our humanity and empowered us to serve, to make that indispensable. I, I need your influence. We need the interference of one another. Right? We, we often don't want that. We don't, we don't want the way that that complicates life, slows us down. I, I, I need your perspective to interfere with mine. I need to sit in a small group with you and hear your wisdom. I need to hear God's work in your life and your heart and what he has helped you to see and the insight from his word that he has provided in order to be healthy. We need the serving and the gifting of one body, different members, Diverse perspectives, political inclinations, ethnicities, all the different ways that we can be marked out as different in this world, united in one head and walking in one mission. Not even preaching a passage like this, that sounds impossible today. And you know what it is. This is why it's supernatural. Let's stand together and turn our hearts to God and, and pray for him to meet us in this and celebrate his work of the gospel.
God, how ennobling it is to be called by you. Lord, to have a home, to have a family, Lord, to be rescued from a world of striving and ambition and fear and anxiety and partisanship and trying to find our place of prominence and security, God, that those are the realities that don't have to characterize this community. That we don't need to be vying for attention or fighting for our perspective or trying to convince those around us to see things our way. Lord, we get to be freed from being loyal to things outside of Jesus Christ. But that's comforting. That is rescuing. That is unifying. And God, that's what we want to experience, Lord, personally in our own hearts and corporately in this body, God. These are fragile days. These are threatening days on so many levels. These are troubling days for the church. God, strengthen us. Strengthen our unity. Strengthen the mission that we share Lord, this corporate identity, would that be the primary one in days, Lord, that want to supply so much else to us to associate with and to fight for? But those things matter. They have a place. We don't dismiss them, but God, would they be so secondary to the Savior who laid down his life to pull us in and to give us our part? And God, would you empower for this body in this season for your work? God, what, what does using spiritual gifts, what does serving look like right now, Lord? How are you going to be burdening particular members, Lord, for the ways that your community can be engaged, Lord, the influence of Christ's community church can be salt and light in this world. The real needs can be met. Lord, not every member has to have that burden in order for this church to do work. Lord, you just need to lay it on the hearts of certain members, Lord, to play their role and for us to say, you know, that, that wasn't even on my mind, but I'm so glad God gave that to you. Let's walk together in seeing God work. God, we need that. Empower us in extra measure for these days. And God, comfort us 